The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, we're going to talk about the uh, consequences of prolonged social isolation to our mental health, especially loneliness. What can that do to us and what we can do about it, especially since today marks the uh, first day of mental health uh, week across Canada. So we have a special guest, a neurologist, who will join us. That's after 10.15, but first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. Remember, you can always uh, email me your questions to lori at drlaurie.com. So we got a follow-up email from the Asian woman, if you remember, on Friday, who was uh, harassed, uh, bat on uh, and who kicked the guy's ass really uh, she wrote uh, she wrote back she said I had a wonderful day I woke up and I felt really good about myself and I have you to thank for that I think all of you she's saying uh, the emotion in your voice alone was overwhelming I felt that someone really cares and is as upset as I was I went for a walk today and said hello to everyone I passed and got a smile and a hello back I feel like part of the community again. I'm putting what happened behind me and moving forward in a positive way. There will always be those who will have an underlying prejudice, and I can understand that. I just had to say thank you again. Today was the best day I've had in weeks. I know why you are so loved. You can add me to the many who love you. You're a beautiful person inside and out. Ah, Don't make me blush. Thank you. I'm so happy that we all were here uh, to support you and that you got the support that uh, that you needed clearly. Okay, here's the situation. Uh, This uh, is from Toronto, a listener from Toronto. I listen to your show regularly with my wife, and we both love your show. Thank you so much for giving out lots of info. And in the near future, we are definitely thinking to visit Montreal to meet you in person. We are in a relationship now for about three years. I'm 34. My wife is 29. We are both pleased and happy with our sex life. We are both open to share our fantasies and needs. She lets me go out to strip clubs with my friends and she never had any issues. Since our city is now locked down due to COVID, we are both at home and spending more time together. So she shared something with me last week that she has a fantasy to do it with another man. She opened up a bit more. I actually know him as well. She works with this man and they have been going out for dinners and sometimes meeting for coffee after work. I never had any issues with with them meeting because I know he's safe and a caring guy. Since it's, since it's been locked down, we both have not seeing or meeting anyone, but once things reopen, she's asking me that she wants to go out with him for the weekend. I don't know what to say to her now. She always let me step out for my needs and I feel she's asking now in return. Can you please give me advice on this? Should I let her go out with him and make her happy? I feel I don't. If I don't, then it w- it might start some issues between us. So I don't know if anybody wants to weigh in on uh, weigh in on this one. So there's a couple of issues here. First of all, the the, the word let in her it's it's more about comfortable, right? Your wife is comfortable with you going to strip clubs with your friends. You say that she um, lets you step out for your needs. Like step out? How are you? 
have you talked about having an open relationship? Like there needs to be more conversation here before anything happens beyond what is already comfortable to both of you. So if strip clubs is, is, is one thing with no touching or no, no having sex with anybody else. Okay. You both agreed to that, but now we're getting to a whole other level. Now she's asking to be polyamorous or in an open relationship so that she can have sex with whomever she wants, which would allow you to do the same. But this has to have, this has to be a conversation which is ongoing and very, very open. So it does sound like you're both secure in, in the relationship and it's great. You each want to make each other happy. That's wonderful. But you have to know how you're going to feel. You Both of you have to play out the scenarios in your brain and in conversation. Like how, think about how are you going to feel? Do you want to know details of what she's going to tell you? Um, are you going to be jealous? Do you... Um, you know, there's always a risk, right? Is there a risk that she falls in love with somebody else? Yes. Like this is risky business when you open up your relationship to others because she, she's not just having sex with someone at a swingers club. She's having sex with someone she's established a relationship with or that she wants to, right? She goes out for, for dinner for, she's like, she's dating him basically. And if they move it to that level, it's more than just the sexuality. So you need to figure out like, where is she at? You really need to converse quite a bit before you say, sure, you know, if that makes you happy, go ahead. Like you have to really play out the details, uh, because it, it could be, it's irreversible, right? Once it's done, it's done. And then you're going to have to deal with the aftermath, um, of that couple of texts here. Ding, ding, ding. Five alarmer. If her desires are for someone else, no brainer. Um, seems weird to be talking about an open relationship during the COVID-19 crisis. Maybe, but it's also a good opportunity when couples are together a lot to, to have all of these important conversations for life after, uh, COVID in a way, uh, what is good for the goose is good for the gander. So if, uh, in other words, uh, I don't know what you mean again by stepping out for your own needs, but if you're if you're going and having sex with others, then if it's good for you, then yeah, it, it should be on equal footing, um, with her. So there you go. <laughs> Happy star Wars day. May the fourth be with you. I forgot about the fourth. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's it. I think, uh, that about says it all. Uh, we'd be happy to, uh, get a follow-up from you. So I don't know if I have time to read this. This is a bit of a lengthy, uh, email, but I'll share, I'll share with you. Hopefully I have a chance to get to it. I've been listening to your show now and then for a little over a year and enjoy most of your show, particularly like trouble Tuesdays and Fridays where anything goes a few months ago. Sorry if I'm reading fast. You re read an email from a listener who was in a horrible relationship and she had to escape. I felt so sad that anyone had to go to such extremes. You then had several shows on abusive relationships and I came to realize I was was in one. I met my boyfriend at work three years ago and we seemed to get along great. We were both rather heavy drinkers. So I guess that was a plus at the time we moved in together two years ago. And at first it seemed okay, but nothing is really ever okay. When you have someone who is abusive when drunk and somewhat abusive when sober, more recently, one of your shows about abusive relationships, you read a poem and two lines really stuck in my head. You have only one life to live. You can't live it unless you are free. 
This had a double meaning for me. Those two lines in your comments made me realize that my drinking was controlling me and my life was being controlled by my boyfriend and I was afraid of him. I stopped drinking but never announced to my boyfriend that I was stopping. However, he did notice. At first he did not care but soon it became a problem. He did not like drinking alone and getting drunk alone. When the government closed everything, we both lost our jobs until further notice. His drinking and abuse became worse. I told him that he had better stop treating me like that or I will leave. His response was, where the F are you going to go? Who will have you? You are worthless. And if it was not for me, you would, you would have nothing. And if you leave, I will make sure you get nothing and you will be very sorry. I will get you fired too. Needless to say, an argument followed in my head, uh, followed, but in my head, I decided I am out of here. He was getting to the point of throwing things. I planned things carefully over the last two weeks, very carefully putting clothes in storage bags and boxes, telling him I was putting winter clothes away and getting rid of stuff I do not like anymore doesn't fit. He was not the least bit suspicious, just said, if you think you're going on some shopping spree for a new wardrobe, you are dreaming in Technicolor. Uh, yesterday, late, late afternoon, he started on his four ounces of, of vodka. By 8 p.m., PM, he was totally passed out on the couch. I called my girlfriend, who was waiting for that call, and she was on her way. She brought everything up and out the side door. When she arrived, she helped me load her SUV, and we were off. I did leave him a note, but that was it. Um, this morning, I woke up. Not only is it a beautiful day, but it is a new beginning, and I feel better than I have in years. A giant weight was lifted from me. Uh, you, Dr. Laurie, you made this day possible. You and two lines from a poem you read gave me the will and the reason to set myself free. I'm starting over, but you made me want to be a better person and I deserve better. And I can assure you, you only have one life to live. You can't live it unless you are free. So this is really for all of the, everybody who supported this person throughout because all of your messages and, and, and your, your own experiences and your words of encouragement helped her out. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about the uh, consequences, long-term consequences of prolonged social isolation with my guest, Dr. Goldstein, uh, coming right up. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. So it is uh, the first day of uh, Mental Health Week. It's an awareness campaign focused on bringing attention to mental health and wellness issues across Canada. And um, I just got a, a notice from the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association, and uh, which is very interesting because... When you look at mental health issues, 5.3 million Canadians needed support with their mental health within the past year. So can you imagine now with this unprecedented crisis, what toll it will take on anxiety and stress levels of, uh, of many people? So uh, we are now, we're just starting, although we should have thought of this a long time ago, I mean a long time ago, weeks ago, we're just starting now to talk about the mental health factor, the mental health consequences of what social isolation is doing to people, what quarantine is doing to people. Um, nobody's really talking about that now, except now that it's mental health awareness and, and, and it's back on the table. The government is, is putting funding uh, towards that, but it, and, and Canada's better than the U.S. In the U.S., they only just recently 
started to uh, really bring up this uh, this topic. So I, I'm we're supposed to have uh, Dr. Goldstein on. He's a neurologist, although he uh, we can't seem to reach him, but we will try to reach him. I want to know how you guys are doing in terms of um, how you're dealing with loneliness, how you're dealing with, like, do you find that there is an effect on your mental health let's say you were in good mental health before if you if you felt that your mental health was good before all this do you have you noticed a, an impact a change in you uh, over the last two months really uh, and is it getting is it getting worse like I'm noticing for a lot of people at the beginning it was like okay it's an adjustment what have you but with the prolonged isolation and the prolonged like just not being able to be with people, uh, be with family or, or being, um, completely alone and completely isolated that, um, their mental health issues obviously are, are, are getting, uh, are getting worse. I want to hear, uh, from you as well, but first let me get to some of the, the comments on, um, some of the things that we touched on earlier. So the, the, the abusive, um, woman here, uh, and oh no, the on the open relationship, yeah, there it absolutely has to be talking about this. It sounds like the guy is a bit jealous, and he has to get this straightened out. Doesn't doesn't sound like he's ready for this step in terms of having an open uh, relationship because his wife wants to have a relationship or have sex at least with someone else. And the other one, heavy drinkers sound like a bit of an alarm to me, especially in the mutual context of a relationship. Glad she left him. Uh, Dr. Petito, thank you for your words of wisdom. Take the time to smell the roses. I did becoming a landscaper, mother nature's helper. I'm so proud. Good for you. You did it literally. Uh, I'm glad that woman is free, but I wonder why someone doesn't call it quits after abusive red flags. Well, you're talking about a dysfunctional relationship. You're bringing up a good point, but if you're talking about two people with drinking problems, two people with mental health issues, clearly, uh, getting out of a situation or recognizing a situation first. So sometimes you don't even recognize it as particularly abusive. It may be dysfunctional, but you don't see it as abusive, possibly because this was your template or growing up, maybe you grew up in a, in a family where there was a lot of this kind of um, action or, or uh, interaction between your parents. So for you, this may be something normal and maybe it took, as she was saying, like listening to a whole bunch of shows that we did deal with abusive situations to recognize, wait a second, that sounds like my relationship. So People like clue in and say, is that abuse? And then it's that awareness first. So that that's where I would go with that first. Uh, it's too bad she had to be sneaky about leaving, but good for her. Well, sometimes to save, um, because it's dangerous, you need to uh, find sneaky ways of leaving. I remember having uh, one client who little by little would start taking out her stuff in her gym bag. So she would say, I'm going to the gym, but she'd fill her gym bag with some, like all her important papers and things that she wanted out of the house until finally she never went back home because she was fearful for her life. So if you don't know, that is the way to do it in that sneaky way. Um, 
Wow, wow, I have watery eyes thinking one of my poems changed someone's life from the Passion Poet. What a nice feeling. Your job must be so satisfying knowing you do the same daily. Uh, certainly, it is very satisfying. Uh, for that couple in Toronto, long ago, I was the third in a threesome with a married couple. I was the trigger that led to their divorce. Need I say more? I was the cause of a divorce and lost two friends. Ask, ask them or me if we think it was worth it. See, that's it. You never know. Sometimes in fantasy, things are great and everything plays out beautifully in your fantasy. But in real life, when you're talking about everybody's emotions um, and multiple things going on and all these feelings and jealousy and like you don't factor all these things in in a fantasy uh, but when you play it out there is a risk and there that's a perfect example of uh, of that so hopefully we will get in touch with uh, Dr. Goldstein Duh, I just don't like when we have the wrong number for somebody but we will try and track this guy down because I do want to talk about the consequences uh, on our uh, on our mental health especially when we're talking about uh, loneliness and loneliness leading to depression and depression leading to other things like the reality is that research has shown us that loneliness is linked to all kinds of physical issues as well heart disease and uh, diabetes and all kinds of other um, other issues over over time. So we absolutely um, need to do that. So need to be thinking about all of these things. But I got the guy's number, which I'm going to give to our Dave, and we will have him on because he's far more of an expert than uh, than I am in these uh, in these things, and he has studied this as a uh, as a neurologist. So we will get Dr. Goldstein on after, after 1030 and, um, and talk a little bit about this, but I, I really, I want to hear your, your own, uh, struggles with this, or maybe not, maybe it's a good thing for you. May, like I've heard from many people also that they have found it's like it's been a blessing in disguise in many ways, right? They're uh, more creative. They're finding other things. They're connecting with people they haven't connected to in a long time, albeit it's not in the same uh, in the same way. But uh, but they're still reaching out and ta- and talking to people they haven't spoken to in in a long time. So there there has been some positivity. Uh, couples who are spending more time together, uh, reconnecting, having fun, like actually playing games together, doing things, family times that are very different now. Uh, so there have been quite a few positive things. And I suppose sometimes it's how we look at things and it's, uh, in looking at gratitude as well. What, what can we be grateful for? Yes, things are, it can be annoying not to be able to do this or that, or it can be annoying having to wear masks or it, I mean, there's many things that are the little things that are annoying. Um, but annoying isn't like, let's put it in perspective as well. Although I get the struggles that many people have and coming up after 10:30 we'll talk about the real struggle of loneliness in people and what that can lead to and why what we can do 
to help those who are in this, this feeling of isolation and loneliness so it doesn't develop into a mental health issue with uh, Dr. Stephen Goldstein. That's uh, coming up shortly after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Today marks the first day of Mental Health Week, an awareness campaign focused on bringing attention to mental health and wellness issues across Canada. And uh, so uh, what better topic to discuss is our mental health today and the impact of prolonged social isolation. And we can call it prolonged now that it's two months of this, just about two months uh, for some people being completely isolated and there and we're not talking enough about it unfortunately um, so this is why we want to talk about it joining us tonight is dr stephen goldstein he is a houston-based neurologist founder of the houston healthcare initiative.org dr goldstein welcome to the show Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Yeah, sorry about the mix-up with the phones. Wish we could have had you on sooner, but it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so why do you think, first of all, that there was barely any talk about the impact of social isolation? Like, we all went into, you know, into this, all right, everybody has to isolate, quarantine, everything else, but this whole issue was neglected from what it's going to do to our mental health. Not that we shouldn't have done it to, to be able to, um, you know, stay away from the virus, obviously, but also the impact on uh, abusive relationships. And there's a, there's a lot of consequences to social uh, isolation, and I think we're only now starting to talk about it. Would you agree it's the same thing in the U.S.? Yes. Uh, when we have these epidemics, we've had experience in the past, say, with the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918, and, of course, we've had experience with tuberculosis, and we've had various different bacterial infections, such as uh, uh, the Black Plague mm-hmm. and things like that. There's a long history of of, of uh, pandemics, uh, yeah, pandemics, and the quarantine when when we didn't have any treatments such as antibiotics uh, or vaccines, the classic treatment was to quarantine people who were sick, say with tuberculosis, to keep it from being spread. And in the U.S. and I'm, I, I believe in Canada as well, they had TB sanatorium, right, where they put people right to isolate them from the community. Um, and the fear was so much, there was so much fear of death that the mental health consequences uh, were not really taken into account. And the same thing here, there was the big fear of the coronavirus. Uh, there were estimates, I think, of uh, millions of people being killed, you know, right about 2 million, 5 million people mm-hmm. being killed initially. Uh, some of the models were showing that. Uh, fortunately, uh, the models are much better now. They're not as uh, they're predicting not as severe death, uh, but the um, uh, isolation has continued for a long period of time. Right. And we need to consider the mental health uh, aspects of quarantine. You know, uh, qu- quarantine does cause loneliness and depression. Right. And can have a profound effect on the mental health as well as your physical health. Of course. Now, one of the differences is in the past, 
when people were quarantining, it was because they were sick. They knew they were sick. People knew they were sick. In this case, it's a little bit different because people are passing it on without being sick. So everybody gets to be quarantined, whereas in past plagues or whatever there other pandemics often it was the you could only spread it if you were symptomatic so I think this is kind of a, a newish you know adjustment that we need to all of us quarantine all need to be isolated well we certainly know that the elderly seem to be um, um, more at risk for dying than the young people okay. at least from what we know at this point right and so the elderly need to watch themselves much more carefully than a younger person would in terms of uh, the risk of death. Except uh, so, that, except that the, the loneliness is, is can, can loneliness kill you? <laughs> That's really yes, the bottom line. Can. There's okay. an increased incidence of suicide associated with the uh, loneliness and depression uh, that develops. Eventually, people commit suicide who are that lonely. And, of course, we know people, when they're lonely, they, they, they start using drugs and alcohol and things like that. And that certainly uh, can lead to uh, Other issues, uh, yeah. premature mm-hmm. death. In right, fact, yeah. there's an overall 26% increased risk of premature death in people who are lonely. Well, it's funny because they there was you know on Facebook and social media all these jokes about uh, all the wine being drank and pictures of of curbside pickup with a, a bunch of bottles and beer bottles and things like that. So uh, you're right; it's it's a people can turn to that when they are lonely or bored or, or what have you. But that puts them at a higher risk for developing other issues. Exactly, and. Of course, the other loneliness is linked to problems uh, like dementia and heart disease and stroke, diabetes, of course, as well as anxiety and depression. Right. Is it true that loneliness is equated to having the same negative impact on health as smoking? Yes. Uh, I think they equivalent to about smoking uh, 15 cigarettes a day, about uh, three-quarters of a pack a day of cigarettes. And did it... Or, or, and it also weakens our, it's also been linked to uh, weakening our immune system. So aren't we going counter, we're almost counterproductive in this way too. We're trying to stay safe, but at the same time, if we don't pay attention to the loneliness or or to our people who are experiencing loneliness, because not everybody is experiencing loneliness, of course, but that they also become now at risk. Well, even before the pandemic, uh there was an increased incidence of uh, uh, loneliness and depression in society in general. And this is just bringing it out in spades a lot more. The suicide rates have been going up uh, uh, over the last uh, um, decades or so. And uh, uh, we have a a chronic public health problem, uh, at least in the U.S. I'm not as familiar with Canada, but at least in the U.S., uh, um, it's, it's a, a, an epidemic, really. Uh, it's not the virus epidemic, but it's another type of epidemic. That's right. It was th- this epidemic was here before. Imagine now it's gotten a lot worse, and all those people that were already vulnerable are now even more vulnerable, especially to. That is certainly to, correct. Right. So what do you, do you have any of your own recommendations or um, like what's your take on all of this? Well, uh, 
since we know it's a problem, we need to try to do something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, first thing to do is identify the people who are lonely. Uh, and, of course, when especially the elderly are socially isolated, especially in the nursing homes where families have not been able to visit. Right. We know that the situation is there. So we need to take uh, extra precaution. Now, the simple, the low-tech way of dealing with it is called the telephone. And if people connect regularly with, let's say, people in the nursing homes or elderly people who are uh, quarantined, uh, you can use the telephone. Right. Uh, old, older, even older way, older technology is writing letters. Uh, a lot of elderly people may not be using email. True. I know that's why a younger person, it's hard to believe that, uh, <laughs> uh, that there are people that don't use email. <laughs> that there's that there's paper and pens that exist. <laughs> but then there's also uh, the technology we have uh, with virtual meetings like uh, Zoom or mm-hmm. FaceTime or uh, I, uh, Duo. I think we should have uh, a program, to... though. Don't you think we should have a program where we pay for, the government pays for something to set technology up in, in seniors' homes so that they have access to this and show them how to use it or something? Well, uh, we can have volunteers do that. There's a lot of people now who are also stuck in their house. They may not have uh, a job now because they got laid off or things like that who do know how to do that and it would help them to reach out to the seniors because they would also benefit from the social connection uh, but we can't a, reach an older out person or a younger person and they could teach seniors for instance how to do that but we can't there do it physically technologies though. like papa which link college students and older adults together for virtual conversation. Oh, okay. There you and go. And there's Stitch, which is a social networking site for seniors. Okay. Uh, so they can get uh, communication between themselves. And if we have volunteers, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money for uh, uh, people to volunteer to help the older people to yeah. Get with it with the, the, the new technology that can be helpful I guess in the, the situation. My question was more about doing it physically and providing the seniors' homes with the with the proper technology. We're in conversation. Oh, yes. If they're not, a, if they don't have the, the technology, exactly. like a smartphone. Uh, That's what that I'm saying. Help. Provide them all with smartphones. Uh, Dr. Stephen Goldstein is my guest. He's a Houston-based uh, neurologist. So if you have any questions about the effects of social isolation or you have some of your own thoughts on that, share them with us here at 514-800. We'll talk about other uh, solutions to beating the isolation and uh, and the loneliness or anything to do with your mental health. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. We're talking about loneliness and the impact of loneliness on our mental health, especially uh, long-term. We're in conversation with Dr. Stephen Goldstein, a Houston-based neurologist. I just want to share a couple of texts here. Also, a great way to battling loneliness is by being of service to others. I Yes, I like that idea of volunteering. Uh, just Drew said, we need to get tablets or devices into the hands of everybody that is lonely or that would benefit from it. Uh, 
which is right up what I was saying. I wish there was uh, funds just uh, for that. And of course, to get, and there's help out there. So as uh, Dr. Goldstein was saying, there are even um, places, places, virtual places, meeting places, places for companionship, even for elderly. What was the name of that that um, website that you're talking about? Uh, Papa, P-A-P-A. P-A-P-A, and, and I think there was Stitch also. And Stitch was the other one. Okay, great. So that's where people can, can reach out. And in Montreal, there's also a women's emotional support group called Emotions Anonymous, and that can be found at emotionsanonymous.org. And all the Montreal meetings are held um, by Zoom right now. So there are a lot of support groups that are uh, online, even for addictions, even for all kinds of stuff. You can still get counseling on online uh, and and join virtual groups. And I think the technology we have is fabulous to be able to be to reach out and to help. And also, the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association has a website called Talking Can Help. TalkingCanHelp.ca, so where you can also find out about counseling and uh, and things like that. Another texter writes in: Some people are really, really struggling with this isolation. I've talked with a few who st- who still are affected. For me, I've spent a lot of my adult life as kind of a selfish, nerdy loner, so the isolation actually felt like old times. I just can never get bored and somehow manage to find something fun to do. But during this time alone, now I'm luckily way better off since multiple video and phone calls to my girlfriend self-isolating across town are really wonderful as we share pretty much everything that we go through each day. Problems and concerns included. It's great. And luckily I went back to work today, which is fulfilling and encouraging. So people handle this quite differently as we can see, right, Dr. Goldstein? I mean, not not everybody is lonely within social isolation, but yet there are that's, a lot of people. Correct. Right. Let's talk for a minute about social distancing because social distancing and quarantining are two different things, right? We're talking correct. about two different things. So now... Are, are we more at a stage where we we can be less isolated and more connected but socially distant, physically distant? Where are well, we at I don't that? know the answer to that. Mm. We, we don't really have enough data to know uh, how much social distancing should be utilized at this point or not. I, I haven't seen any data that shows when we can relax that or when we should keep doing that. Right. So I don't think anyone knows the right answer. It's confusing. the epidemic. Right. When we should stop the social isolation as the social distancing, or maybe we can do it partially. In other words, not having to be six feet away, but you could be three foot away. Right. Or you could be uh, in conversation for two or three minutes or, or <laughs> rather than have to rush by. Nobody um, knows, right? Nobody knows the answer <laughs> it's to these crazy. questions. I know. Well, what we know is social distancing is important. So, well, what we're told anyway is that those six feet apart is important. But having those six feet apart can mean that we can go for a walk with a friend as long as we maintain the six feet apart, I guess. Like this is where That's it gets correct. really confusing. So if we can do at least that... I would encourage people who are feeling isolated to maybe 
be able to to do that. Even going going for a walk alone and just seeing other humans. Exactly, and getting out into nature. But a lot of that depends, of course, on the population density of where you are. <laughs> for instance, if you happen to be in the middle of Manhattan in New York City, it would be very difficult to go for a walk and keep six feet around you at all yeah. times. Whereas, you know, if you happen to be in, let's say, uh, British Columbia, it's probably a lot easier to do that. <laughs> I think that's been a problem. We had um, in Montreal this past weekend was a lovely weekend. We had a beautiful Saturday and people were out in droves. And in, in uh, we have a, a mountain here, Mount Royal, a big, 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 big park. It was apparently packed. I heard Central Park was also packed. Like, so, and peep, and there's police everywhere and, and you know, megaphones saying, keep your distance. And it's, you're right. It's difficult. Like you want to get out in nature, but you're trying to avoid crossing somebody like just walking, which is almost impossible to do if everybody's out. Well, uh, you can go at unpopular times, like at <laughs> yeah. sunrise. That's, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> Not me. You won't get me out at sunrise, but if you really need to be out, that might be the only time where the go. Um, so yeah, it's besides the social isolation part and the loneliness, the confusion and the, uh, uncertainty. And for me, every time I talk to somebody, we're always asking questions. So can we do that? Should, well, do you think we could do that? <laughs> is the fact that we don't have knowledge and that leads to anxiety. Of and course. of course the financial problems that are people having if they're laid off or lost their job, uh, that also is very stressful and causes anxiety. And so the mental health problems. Uh, Far and wide. There's depression, but anxiety uh, and the, just the uh, panic and worry. How am I going to pay the rent this month? Of course, How am I gonna of course do things like that when I don't have a job anymore. Right. And we have, we've been talking a lot on this show about other mental health issues that, that come. The loneliness part was, is a big one. And the isolation yeah. is a, is probably the most, I get that people are worried financially and all of that. And that can be huge, uh, huge stress on family. But I'm just, I'm just thinking of people who are alone in their homes, in their apartments, not knowing not just lonely, but also anxious and depressed and not seeing an end. And it breaks my heart to see that, to know that there are people suffering alone in like in silence and we don't, mm -hmm. we can't reach them and we don't know who they are. And we can't, you know, we need to like, I think we just need to do more as a society. Exactly. In other words, we, 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 we should encourage volunteers to make contact with these people, uh, First of all, to identify who they are. In other words, you know, if, if somebody is doesn't, you know, an elderly person may not have very much family left. Uh, maybe they're in the nursing home by themselves. How do we identify those people right. or people that are not in the nursing home? They're in their own apartment, say. And, yeah, uh, especially those. They don't have a lot of uh, friends. Uh, we need to be able to identify those people. Uh, neighbors. Uh, might be a good source, and maybe there could be some somebody set up a website to try to help with that, and that's what some of these websites, mm -hmm. I guess, are for. But uh, even just in the local neighborhood, uh, yeah. maybe uh, uh, religious groups can 
uh, be a source of volunteers to yes. help. Uh, and checking in, checking in on their uh, on their congregants, and che- I, I know that quite a few people are doing that, and um, I even get you know from our religious religious leaders occasional texts. You guys doing okay? Everything okay? Like just a reminder that. Uh, people are here and even our show here we get uh, texts from from listeners sometimes all they have is the radio and that that's you know that's how they can tell one day from the next is from the live radio that that they can listen to but many have reached out to our community here and to me in uh, personally and we're everybody here is trying to help everybody right so we're we're trying to i'm even trying to match up volunteers with people who are writing to me who who are lonely and whatever so if we could all just do a little bit of that and remember the lonely people out there not not all of us are feeling this but many of many people are and i just want to you know urge our people are lonely they can stop thinking so much about themselves and stop thinking about some of the other lonely people you'll help two lonely people that's right make a connection that's right that's true too we should do that too uh maybe we'll start our own app or something i don't know dr goldstein thank you for sharing your time with us really appreciate it and stay safe and thank you for having me a pleasure take care sure Dr. Stephen Goldstein, neurologist out of uh, Houston. I want everybody to stay safe and reach out. If you are feeling lonely, please, you've got me here every night. Talk to me, talk to us, and we're all listening here. And uh, anything we could do to help, we will, we will try. Uh, thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon, tonight. If you want to connect with me on social media, at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlaurie.com coming up next here on cjd we bring you the ctv national news have a great rest of the evening stay safe and remember to live your life with passion